Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Proverbs chapter 7, we're continuing in our study about some perils, some common dangers of this time of life. And most of these next several lessons, I have uh, at least two more. We might do one more after that, but almost all of these lessons, we're going to come with a uh, general uh, wisdom out of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a book that is full of general wisdom that you and I as believers, and it would do far better for our society to focus on a lot of this. Um, there's just some tremendous truths in Proverbs uh, that would do well for those of all age and all backgrounds to embrace him. Particularly when you get to Proverbs and these first 14 chapters or so, for maybe first seven chapters, you've got about 14 references uh, that use the phrase, my son. And so in keeping with that, you think of those Proverbs as lessons that a father should teach their son. And in these several, I think it's 14 times, he'll use the word, my son. You note there in chapter 7 and verse 1. Furthermore, as you read down through the Proverbs, really, when you get to, uh, when you get to chapter uh, 3, 4, some in chapter 5, some in chapter 6, and some in chapter 7, the theme of all of those, at least in part, there's a reference made to major actions upon which a young person will be faced before they move far into adulthood. Uh, for instance, you've got instruction on, um, uh, on liquor, on alcohol. You've got some instruction there. You've got a lot of instruction about moral purity that are in those chapters. It's interesting, so often uh, you'll hear folks talk about being a Proverbs 31 woman, and uh, I think that ought to be the desire of, of every godly lady's heart. Uh, but truly, when you watch the actions of some today, uh, they do less to resemble Proverbs 31 as they do Proverbs 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, the attitudes that are prevalent in society. It's much more challenging. It requires uh, the spirit of God's leadership in the life of one to engage in the fullness of the 31st proverb, uh, far more than the physical carnal that is often mentioned in these others, but there's a tremendous amount of them that deals with wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1 deals a lot with the friendships you make and the responsibility that if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. And so with these, we're going to extract some general truths and apply them uh, to the peril. You're there. Uh, look, if you will, in Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7, and read just maybe the first few verses. Uh, my son, keep my words. Lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live. And my law as the apple of thine eye. Reminds you a little bit about Zechariah, God's apple of his eye. It has the um, reference there of something that is of great value and desirable to you. And so he's commissioning his son, keep my law as something that is most valuable to you. If you will, you might put it in this sense, what'd your dad say about something? What'd your mom say about something? That's the reality that he's conveying. Verse number three, bind them upon thy fingers. 
write them upon the table of their hearts. There's an intimacy in this knowledge. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. For, it's a new paragraph, he's going to transition now. For at the window of my house, I looked through my casement, and beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a man void of understanding. Passing through the street near her corner, he went the way of her house. I'm going to conclude with verse number nine. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. We consider these words. Context here of our lesson deals this morning with the peril, peril for the simple, peril from the simple. Notice, if you will, in verse number seven, the proverb writer of Proverbs, likely Solomon, says, and beheld among the simple ones. I discerned among the youths a man void of understanding. In the context of Scripture, you'll remember as we rehearsed last week, a simple one is one that is, here's a real easy understanding of it, seducible. Seducible. What do you mean by that? A simple one can be misled and tricked. Now, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Start off in our heart, every one of us are simpletons when we're born. You're not born, nor was I, with vast resources of wisdom. Let me ask you something. How many of you ever been, everybody, anybody ever played a trick on you before or tricked you? We're born simpletons. What do you mean? We're seducible. Uh, a simpleton, by definition, is not a rebel. They're not a rebel. In that, they have not refused to heed instruction. That's what a rebel does. A rebel refuses to comply. Uh, a rebel is one of a froward mouth, and you'll remember frowardness deals with the idea of not willing to comply even to something that is reasonable. They're going to do what they want. They do not care what the authority says. That's a rebel. A simpleton is not necessarily a rebel. What is a simpleton? A simpleton is one, rather, that either did not know something they did not know or they forgot the instruction that they were given. Notice the earlier statements in the previous verse. I want to touch on a few of them, though some of them are used several times. The first there, asterisk, he tells him in, in the beginning of verse 1, he says, keep my words. So it's his son. By nature, I don't know the age of the son, but by nature, the son is progressing from simpleton, being a simpleton to wisdom. That's where everybody is. That's where we're all at. And so the dad's telling him, Son, one of the means, the chief means really, by which you're going to move from being simple to wise is if you keep my words. That word keep is an interesting word. Maybe you write this down beside. It has the idea to set as a hedge. We need that in life, don't we? Isaiah said, 
all we like sheep have what? We need hedges in our life. And listen, I know that some of us are older and you've been down the path in life. You still need some hedges in life. If you have young people in your home, they need hedges. They need boundaries. Why? Because they're simpletons. And not given, oh, don't offend my child. You were too. Not given the responsibility to have hedges in life, what are they going to do? The Lord said, all we like sheep have. So what's the natural proclivity of a simpleton? Wonder. That's why often the case, uh, most of us, if you lived in an area that had a neighborhood, you, you, would, you would really be concerned just to let your children go about and run around with no hedge, especially if they're little. Why? They'll be anywhere and everywhere. Keep means to place a hedge. It means to give attention to. It means to guard oneself from something. And he admonishes him in verse 1, keep my words. In verse 2, keep my commandments. Notice the second one that he gives him in verse number one, not only to keep my words, he says, but lay up my commandments with thee. This word lay up, it has this idea, it's really the same as Matthew where he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's the same general concept. It has the idea to set in depository. What you're talking about is to hoard something up. When I was a kid, I collected baseball cards. I had other cards too, but, uh, you know, football cards. I never owned any hockey cards. I couldn't tell you how many hockey cards I threw out. I did not value as a sport. I apologize. But I had baseball cards. And, you know, you would take of these baseball cards, and some of them were nobodies. And then a couple of them, boy, they were, they were your favorite player or they were one of the better cards. And so for those, you, you took great care and you set them aside. The cheap ones, that's what you strapped onto your bicycle so it sounded all funny. That's what you uh, left out on the counter that your mom pitched. That's what your cheap ones were, your common ones. Now, the idea of this where he says, lay up my commandments with him, he's telling you to hoard them up. I believe it's in chapter 4. He said, wisdom is the principal thing. And interesting. In our youth, what are you trying to get? Well, we want to make sure our youth get some knowledge in life. We want them to go to school. Uh, and, and learn, and learn how to read, write, and arithmetic, you know. We want, to learn, we want them to learn those things. We want to make sure they get exercise, right? We want to get out and enjoy life and, and maybe walk and use their muscles. All that's true. We want to make sure they have some special enjoyment. But when the proverbial writer spoke of all the things that you're going to get in life, he said the most principal thing is wisdom. Why? Because athletes that act as millionaires, some of the top athletes in the world, they're really simpletons. They never embraced wisdom. All of the fun in this life cannot replace godly wisdom in life. And so he says, hoard it up. Don't just get a couple of things of truth. Allow, if I can put it this way, allow your greed of wisdom to consume you in your youth. Lay up my commandments. I want every one of them. I want to know everything I can possibly know as pertaining to how my behavior and actions and how to process and make good and proper decisions. He says, lay them up. And then if you'll note, verse number three uses a different phrase. He says, bind them upon thy fingers. 
You think of binding, you think of the knitting of two hearts together. You think of cleaving, as we might would speak of in a sense of a, a marital relationship. That's what this idea of bind means. It means to love them. It means to tie them upon thy heart in a sense of knitting it so that the natural uh, tendency of heart is to reflect upon those things that you love and these are these foundational truths which you should embrace with all of your life. I find it very interesting, these phrases. When we look upon the landscape of today, even among Christian youths, one of the great things is they have so many things that they are competing to bind upon their hearts. They're looking at friends. Friends give wisdom. And young folks will often take the wisdom of friends and they'll nod it upon their hearts and assume that that is to be equated with the wisdom of truth. It is not. They'll look to the regions beyond of what they can see uh, with their eyes or hear with their ears and assume that because they heard something or saw something that that truly must be the wisdom by which one must act. Nothing could be further from the truth. God's wisdom is holy. God's wisdom is chief. God's wisdom is preserving to everyone of each generation that will ever love it, keep it, and bind it upon their heart. Once again, this is a reminder that biblical prudence, the prudent man, Psalmist says in the 20, uh, or the Proverbs says, Proverbs 27 and verse 12, the prudent man, biblical prudence doesn't just come from hearing. What must be associated to have biblical prudence? Do you remember? You've got to hear and do. Notice how they're linked together. You cannot do that which you have not heard. You cannot do that which you do not know. But oh, there's a great instruction, isn't there? For there are many that know but do not do. So there must be Hearing and applied with doing. How foolish that this young man may have heard the path is not wholesome. He speaks there in, in uh, the passages passing through the street near her corner. Maybe how often he's heard how wholesome that path is not, how it leads to a place that is not wholesome, but he did not do. Else he would have avoided Instead, he may have responded to his experienced parent with the eternal human expression of, anybody want to give a guess? I know, I know, I know. It is the simpleton's echo chamber. It is the simpleton's model of life. I know, I know, I know. But he does not do right. He really believes himself that he will be the oddity. Everybody else will be destroyed, but he'll be saved. That's how a simpleton thinks. That they are always in some fashion the, uh, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The exception to the rule. I know, I know, I know. Yet his simplistic curiosity has directed him into a dangerous and possible deadly path. Well, listen to verse number 23. The commonness of this uh, godless affair was brought about in 23 till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteneth to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. Listen to verse 26. 
for she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. I know, I know, I know. Then you can hear every experienced parent say, No, you do not. No. With regard to digital technology, there are several pairs which uh, are several perils by which the prudent must be aware. This week in particular, I want to focus on the perils of the internet with our focus on what can be seen. Next week, Lord willing, we'll deviate to a slight distinction and speak a little bit about the perils of social media. I know when we look at them, we often see them as the same, but they really are distinct. Uh, just before I go any further, I'll, I'll tell you a reason. Um, when I was, I guess, about 16, 17 years old, um, finished up high school, and I got my first job where I went and punched a clock, you know. And I was a dishwasher in a restaurant. That's what I did. <clears throat> and so they hired me all summer and into the school year. And then I showed up one day, and all the doors were locked. And they forgot to call the dishwasher, and they had closed the entire restaurant. And so I remember going home with my mom and being like, well, I feel like they should call me. And so I had called up the one owner that I knew. I had his number. He was kind of the, the, the money behind the thing, not the day-to-day -day operation. And he apologized to me, said, I'm sorry, and, and hope all goes well for you, whatever. And I said, all right, well, I guess that's the end of that job. I'll just finish school. I had about three more months left <clears throat> for my junior year of high school. About two weeks later, he called me up, and he said, I want you to come in for an interview. And so I was delighted, got my parents' permission. I went in for this interview, and he hired me on the spot. Uh, I got promoted from being a dishwasher to being uh, one that would be involved uh, with helping him transition his business from selling his merchandise through magazines and now on this thing called the World Wide Web. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Uh, I'd go to school, and I'd listen to these poor, poor colleagues of mine, students talk about how they were folding shirts at the retail store, or those poor fellows that had to make milkshakes, or worse yet, those that worked at a little car wash called Nick's, Nick's Car Wash, and they'd get out there, and it's 100 degree heat, and they're washing and detailing cars, and they were all making, you know, I mean, $6 an hour, and secretly in my head, I thought, man, I'm on the path to something here. I went in and sat down, and I sat in a chair, and I looked at a computer monitor. I had one of the first digital cameras. It was an Apple digital camera, like a box. And uh, I would set that thing up with floodlights and I'd take pictures. And then uh, I had a scanner and I would scan in pictures. And I'd get on my Apple computer and this program called Adobe Photoshop and I'd make all these edits. And then I would upload it within a year's time. Man, I was running around uh, living in, in a sense of, of my employment, working with computers and managing their uh, server that they had. I was there when they converted from Apple to, to uh, Windows and just enjoying all that. And man, I remember going home and talking to my dad about it. And I said, Dad, we have got to get with the times. What we really need is a computer. And um, so he, he allowed me to buy one when I turned uh, a little bit older uh, with some stipulation and guidelines. Now, I want to tell you at this time, there was no Wi-Fi. I'm not aware of anybody uh, in my world that had Wi-Fi at this time. So the only way you're going to get Internet is to stretch this 50-foot cord off, disconnect your phone, and plug it in, and then hear the gears grinding as you connect it to the Internet. And uh, I sat there, and my, my dad and mom 
uh, working with because I, I did it at work and they would sit with me and I created my eBay account when I was about 17, 18 years old, still have it today. It's from the 1900s and uh, began to sell stuff. I would sell these books. I sold all over Europe and uh, countries in Europe and the Philippines and, you you know, take their money through this, through this uh, often they wrote checks because it predated PayPal and I'd mail them and I was having just a wondrous time. And then, uh, of course, the Lord called us into ministry, and I put all that just aside. And by the time I kind of hook back in a little bit and know anything of what's going on, everybody's got a smartphone. That's how fast that Internet window moved. And so there is a history of Internet that predates what you and I would consider social media. And that's kind of why I want to give the division between the two. Notice, if you will, the first of these perils that comes with the Internet. Now, I'm not condemning the Internet. I'm not preaching against the Internet. Rather, what I'm doing is preaching against being a simpleton. That's what I'm preaching against. And too often, we look at it and say, well, I'm glad this will never happen to me. Listen, let me tell you something, biblical truth. Don't ever let the words, it will never happen to me, ever come out your mouth. If you do, take your hand. I'm going to give you the biblical cure. Take your hand and slap your mouth. It will never happen to me. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Let him that thinketh he stand, what? Take heed. Why? Lest he fall. Human history is full of people. It's full of preachers. It's full of lay people. It's full of Sunday school teachers. It's full of marriages that said such and such will never happen to me. How'd you start life? A simpleton. You started a simpleton. We all did. It is only by the grace of an Almighty God and a human heart's desire to embrace and to hoard all the wisdom of truth and see it applied to their life that you'll ever be preserved from the foolishness that your heart can create. Notice the first of these perils. There's the peril of irreplaceable time. The peril of irreplaceable time. Surely, with the limited time that we have in life, James 4 speaks of it being but a vapor that appeareth a little time, and then what? Your life is short. It's probably shorter than you can imagine. The scripture is talking in Psalm 90 about it, if it be the space of strength of 80 years. Life relative to all that is contained in human history is quite short. So we should learn to be cautious with its expenditure. Ephesians 5 says, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Anything that can cause us to spend hours mindlessly entertained and physically unexercised should at least be cautioned in life. In um, my years, this is pre-social media, you'd hear people talk about surfing the web. And you know what that meant? Exploring all the websites. You're just sitting there and processing, hardly even processing, all the information that is to come. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And moving down through things. That is a dangerous thing to do. Why? Well, at least one of them is you only have so much time. You did nothing profitable with that time whatsoever. It wasn't research was just simple entertainment, simple, unexercised entertainment. 
Let me hurry and give you a second one. A second peril by which the simpleton needs to be warned is the parable, or the peril rather, of irretrievable connection. You might put beside this isolation. We are, we should be, born into families. We should, in our life, develop real friends. Romans, in that great passage on liberty, says of it this wise in verse number 7, For no man liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. God has made and designed us to be, to some degree or another, social in our interactions. He has given with us the ability to speak. That is a good thing. He has given us the ability to communicate, and they are not the same thing. Someone can speak without communicating. In some ways, you can communicate without speaking. And then there's a whole bunch of forms of individuals uh, that have, or all forms of, I should say, communication that really do not communicate as effectively. When you look at all of the animal creation, they do not communicate or have the abilities to communicate, I should say, in the same means that we do. God has made us to have connections. Though we should be selective, may I back that up? I'm going to back that up a minute. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he descended to earth, and through the process of the incarnation, he was born to a what? A family. He knew who his brethren were. He had a connection to his mother. By the way, he had that connection to the end of his very existence uh, until the cross of Christ is what I'm saying. And of course, when you think about it, not only did he have his family, but he also had friends. Did he not? Can you think of any of his friends? And now there were times, Mary, Martha, Lazarus were some of you, you think of any others? He also had friends that he didn't always want to be his friends, but they were good people. They were just simpletons, uh, a.k.a. the apostles <laughs> at times. There were times the Lord Jesus would go into the wilderness to pray, but he never stayed there. What did he do? He was doing his father's work. He was always in and around people. God has not made us to be isolation. Sometimes we do this. We say, well, I just, I'm not good around people. You need to be. You need to be. You need to be around people. This young man in chapter 7 would have been far better to be around some better people than off wandering the streets at night by himself. One of the dangers of the internet is the peril of irretrievable connections. We should be selective as to the influences that we have in this life. <clears throat> we need companionship that friendship and family brings. <clears throat> Much could be said about this in, in regards to the attendance of church. Church is, in fact, a community of assembled saints that have met together to worship in spirit and in doctrinal truth. Perpetually streaming and constant online watching of church services is not the same thing as going to church. It is neither healthy nor hopeful to be withdrawn into isolation. This is not how God has created us. We need a second peril. It's the peril of irretrievable connection. A third peril. <clears throat> a third peril. It's the peril of the impact of certain comprehension. 
the impact of comprehension. <clears throat> you might look at this as knowledge that can be attained. We speak today, you hear this very often, about how much children know today. In one sense, I wonder if nearly every former generation didn't say that about the new generation. In one sense. Yet, when we speak of this about children today, we're not simply talking about that they've learned their ABCs earlier in life. Yet, this quote-unquote advanced knowledge has not produced a more productive society. Can I get a little, I'm going to get a little picky for a second. I marvel with all the educated young folks that we have today why there are just so many of them that struggle to work a job. Knowledge does not bring, knowledge does not bring more production. Uh, I look back and I say this kindly, but I say this bluntly. I had a grandfather, never finished third grade, but he was a successful man in this life. Though there were many things he didn't know about, uh, I could not today if he was still alive, commune with him and say, hey, uh, granddad, uh, give, me, give me your opinion on uh, various and sundry technical matters. He never owned a computer a day of his life. He wouldn't know anything about it. There's tons of things that I know that my granddad never knew. But his was a productive life. There's a lot to be said about labor. Now, I want to work smarter, not. Well, I'm going to tell you what, for the simpleton, sometimes it might just be better to get him to do some hard work. But I digress. With all the knowledge, it's not produced a more productive society. Our society today is not more productive than a society of 50 years ago. I'll give you a second thing. With all the knowledge, that our society has today, it's not produced a safer society. You know this is coming, despite having safe spaces. It's not a safer society. It's crazy to think of. And the generation before me, some of the little boys would take 22 rifles and be in the woods all day with 22 rifles. And they managed to survive. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's a benefit and something that we have to do in life. I'm simply saying that with all the knowledge we have today, it's not produced. This society is not safer than a society 50 years ago. And any of you that were alive 30, 40 years ago know that to be true. Number three, with all the knowledge they have that's conveyed upon them, <clears throat> it's actually not produced a society with more sense. The thing about common sense is it's not too common at all. It reminds me a little bit of the Proverbs in 30 where he talks about there is a generation, how lofty is their eyes. They've got all the answers to life. I saw somebody sent me a little T-shirt clip. You know, you want know, printed. I'm looking at Mark because he, he used to wear these. You know what I'm talking about, a printed T-shirt? And it said in all caps, said in all caps, I was a great, fantastic parent. And then in small print, before I had children. 
that defines modern parent raising. Boop, right there. They're all fantastic, know everything, all the magazines, all the things, all the blogs, all the feelings. They're not raising better children today. Comprehension. It's impactful, it's everywhere, but the proof's not been in the pudding. Life hacks, that's a common online thing. You need some life hacks. And I'm not saying they're useless. Some of them can be quite interesting. You learn a lot of things. But life hacks cannot replace true, time-tested wisdom. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7 talks about how those would be ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, I submit to you in one sense, that's this society, ever learning. Uh, innovations and things that I learn on a regular basis, but it does not ever replace the wisdom of truth. A statement could also be made here about the youth learning things before they have matured physically and emotionally. Some things learned too early in life create great problems. It is a diabolical abomination to begin to talk about, uh, and I want to be polite, but I want to communicate as well, but it's a direct abomination to sit there and speak of procreation and all of that with three, four, five, six, seven-year-old kids. It's silly and foolishness, but that's where your public educational system is today. Peril of impactful comprehension. Now, before, there's the peril of inappropriate content. By the way, if you were sitting there this morning and you noticed, there's just some C's. I couldn't come up with some of these. So if you want to help me with my alliteration, I'd, I'll adapt it. But note number four, I don't just focus on that. That's where it always goes south there. Number four, peril of inappropriate content. Aside from some of these search engines, social media, and e-commerce sites, most of the top visited sites promote illicit material. It has been that way since the dawn of the Internet. And through my data, December of 2023, aside from search engines like Google and Yahoo, aside from e-commerce places like Amazon, and aside from some social media sites like Facebook and, and I, well, I guess it's X now or YouTube, the balance of what is left in the top 20 the overwhelming majority of them are pornographic sites. And you say, well, yeah, but probably don't have that many. No, with their tags and advancements, these powerful, wealthy sites push an innocent, a curious link, or a curious click, I should say, can open up a world full of evil. These sites have tens of millions of visitors each month. That's right. Now think about this. Amazon usually ranks in the top seven. Would you believe there's... All right. Show of hands. Confess your sins one to another. You may be free. How many of you visited Amazon this month? All right. Keep your hand up. Because I know this is probably true. How many of you visited last month? A couple more went up. Good. You think about this. I'll, it's not a sin. I'm not preaching against Amazon yet. Anyway... That's a little sim simple observation. 
there are more, there are almost, I'm, I'm doing this from memory, but there are at least two or three pornographic sites that get more visits in a month than Amazon does. Let that statistic get in your brain. Accidental click, curious click, a misspelled word in a search engine. For that matter, for that matter, a rightly spelled word in a search engine that can be tagged to illegitimate sites. That's what I'm talking about. A host of inappropriate content. The path of this type of wickedness is no longer, how did the Proverbs say here? Passing through her street near her corner. Notice how possessive it is. It's kind of like in a concealed way. The path of this type of wickedness is no longer a concealed road. It's a superhighway full of wretched allure. It's perilous. Number five, there's a peril of intriguing games. The peril of intriguing games. Many of the stories of youth being ensnared in the gaming universe. It used to be admirable uh, to play games. I can think of times that we played a uh, game. My little girl walked up to me this week and she said, let's go play Candy Lane. Candy Land, I think it is. And that's a vicious game. You can almost be done and then have to restart the game. That is not my kind of It would be like playing baseball, having a nine-run lead, and then all of a sudden they're ahead by 20. And you drew a card. It's just, I mean, that's no wonder. No wonder the generation that played that emotionally developed differently than the ones of today. That's not fair. That doesn't make me feel good about myself. It's not affirming. I've got to go back to start. Anyway, that's not the games we're talking about. It's a very dark side. With these internet-connected gaming industry has a very dark side. With VR, virtual reality. Um, now, and again, let me say this. I'm not actually preaching against this technology. I'm trying to make you aware of it. Oculus, I believe it was called, tethered with Samsung a few years ago, and now Meta, formerly Facebook, has it. You wear these headsets, and it's like instead of you playing a game outside looking in, you're, it's called being immersed in the game, and you're present. Listen, in one part, that can be cool. Can you imagine playing a little baseball game, and only you are the batter? And when you have the little joystick, you swing the bat, and you can feel the ball off the bat in your hand? That's immersive experience. I mean, that can have a level of coolness to it. But in, in relationship to this, the gaming can have another side. It's an increasing realness. Many of the games often impact the emotional development of the youth. Why? That coolness can be addictive in its nature. I'll be honest with you. I don't think there's ever been a person born to Adam's race who's ever been addicted to Candyland. They would sit there and say, I can do, I can go and go without sleep. As a kid, we'd play insane games of Monopoly, and we would stop and pack it up and bring it back out. And I can honestly say there's never been a day in my life I've ever been addicted to Monopoly. But these type games, 
fire and control in the midst of the mind, and they can be addicted. And I know this is probably rare, but there are kids, and really, when I use kids, I'm not talking seven, eight. There, there are late teens, early 20s that have literally done permanent damage, even death, because they got so addicted to gaming that they went without eating and sleeping hours and hours and hours and hours. I don't think that ever happened with the games that many of us were associated with. It impacts the emotional development of youth. Equally, a peril of some of the intriguing games. And listen, I'm not talking and saying that every game that someone could download from the Internet or every game that they could play within the confines of the Internet is some wicked abomination. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there are some. I'm saying you need to be careful. I'm saying it's a peril. Here's another peril with that intriguing games. Many of the Internet-hosted games really focus, or I should say function, as social media sites as well. Off to the side, you communicate one with another. You have friends and teams and people around the world. Do you remember that shooter down in Uvalde, Texas? Do you remember, you remember who I'm talking about? I don't know his name, whatever. They shot up at school down there. The last text or communicate they had from his device was to a girl in Germany or Australia. Austria. You know how they met? Online gaming. She didn't really know him, but their friendship developed and I'm using friendship in a large stretch. She was not close friends. She said she was being polite. And they didn't have like hours and I should say decades of conversation. But there was some. It's almost like social media. It'd be like a parent being against Facebook but giving their child unilateral access to online internet gaming in so much that they're really connecting as though it were Facebook. And number six, there's the peril of increasing covetousness. While browsing on the internet is painfully easy to become discontented with your possessions. And just for a moment of levity, we know who you are because you raised your hand that you had been on Amazon. <laughs> I tease a little bit, but the fact is, you get online, you see cars and houses. You see decor, vacation, tools that you may have never been able to see any other way than this. And they can have a direct ability to make you become discontented. They manipulate us, I'm on the wrong line here, their advertisement can easily manipulate us into having a great desire for those things that we wish we had, but don't. Biblically, covetousness and idolatry are twin evils evils that every believer must combat against. In fact, Colossians 3 says, covetousness, which is idolatry. 1 John 5, 21, my little children, keep yourselves from idols. While the internet has many useful applications, it should be regarded with great caution. These dangers must be understood. They must be communicated. Neglecting these perils will result in the simple passing by and being destroyed. Proverbs 12:7 concludes, and are punished. Simple, beware the perils of this age. Father.
Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.